Okay, I just want to remind you of the symbolism. Coming out of the world, through the waters of baptism, we've been born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, man must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. So what, what image, what, what, what's the image of me walking into the temple? After I'm coming out of the celestial world, walking into the terrestrial world, I'm a reborn spirit being. And the first thing you would do to that child is wash it. Wash it clean. So the very first thing that happens to you in the temple is you're washed. Now, this is no ordinary child. This is the son or the daughter of the king and queen. And I need everyone to know who that is. And so what do we do next? What did Rafiki do? As soon as Simba was born, he anointed him. As soon as the future king or queen is born, they are anointed. Now, relax your eyes a little bit. Let's not use the word anoint. If you didn't use the word anoint, Tell me what you see. What are some other words that might unlock the meaning of an anointing? Okay, but how? Wave at him. Am I waving at him? What am I doing to Simba? Don't say the word of Mark. Don't say the word anoint. I am. Who said it? I am marking. I am putting a mark on Simba. Now, before we go to the scriptures, that should ring a bell in our society. Do you remember when Maverick and the team he's leading finally gets to the target and they come into the valley? What is the guy be, what is Bob doing? What is Bob supposed to do? He doesn't pull any triggers. Tell me what Bob does behind Phoenix. Tell me you've seen Top Gun Mar Maverick. I have no idea. Oh my heck. He has to mark the target. It is his job to mark the target. Why? So the missiles know where to hit. It's kind of the same idea. I am marking a target for a blessing. Now, let's turn to the scriptures. Where does the Lord put a mark on Israel and then send in a blessing afterwards? It's more common than you realize. Tell me the first one. Tell me probably the most prominent one. Egypt. If you want to understand anointing, You've got to open up the Passover. Tell me what, relax your eyes a little bit and see God putting a mark and then here comes the blessing afterwards. Tell me about the mark. What was the mark? Blood of the lamb. You put 
the blood of a lamb on your house. There was the mark. And then what was the blessing? The destroying angel passed you by. God saved them. What was this mark supposed to do for this particular animal? You all better stay away from this one. But who, who saw the mark? Who saw that mark as a target? Scar. Scar. It works both ways. Mufasa was saying, leave my son alone. You mess with him, you mess with me. And Scar saw the, the mark as, oh, you're the one I need to take out because you're in my way. It works both ways. The mark sends both messages. To an enemy, the mark says, destroy this one. To, to friends, the mark says, protect this one. And God is doing that same thing. So in Egypt, he put a mark on Israel. And here comes the blessing. Here comes the bombs. Here comes God's bombs. Sees the mark and protects them from harm. Now, we've got to do this. God marked Israel. But there was implied what? Do you see the other side of that? What was implied? on asking them to put lamb's blood on their house. What, remember, the, one of the bullet points, one of the dots we connected is that the Lord, everything the Lord does to you, he's asking you to do to yourself. So prepare and be prepared. So if I am washed, what's the invitation? To be, to wash. If I am marked, if God is marking me, what's the invitation? Mark yourself with lamb's blood. The invitation was to, for Israel to take Jesus and do what? Put Jesus all over me. It wasn't blood that saved Israel. It was them living their covenants that saved them. Do you see that relationship? Now, it happens again in the Old Testament. Name the next destruction that comes into Jerusalem. Do you remember? The Babylonians. The ba Why did Lehi leave? Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. This story gets lost. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9 in the Old Testament. The Babylonians are coming in. And the Lord says, I'm going to mark my faithful for a protection. I'm going to mark them. And then I'm going to send the bombs of protection in. So Ezekiel chapter 1. Or sorry, Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1. What does he call for? What does the Lord call for? Draw near those that have charge over the city. And who shows up? Six angels show up with slaughter weapons in their hand. 
we are going to slaughter Jerusalem. But verse 3, we need one more. So what do we pull up in in verse 3? What does the Lord call for in verse 3? I need an angel with... Go to 3 and 4. What do we need? I need an angel with... With an ink horn. I need an angel with an ink horn. And then what does he tell that angel to do? Go throughout the city. Go throughout this wicked city of Jerusalem. And do what? Verse verse 4. Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of everyone who sighs and cries for the abominations. So everyone who regrets the wickedness of this city, everyone who laments, everyone who is sad that this city has turned wicked, you go to put a mark on their forehead. Give them time, okay? Everyone just just wait. Go, go, guys. And then he turns to the six slaughter angels and says what? Verse 5. Go ye after him throughout the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children. Now, why a little child wouldn't have a mark on them? That's a curious question. But you go slaughter everyone, but what? But not anyone who has the mark. And start where? Where do you start cleaning this city? You start in my temple. And once again, all the righteous. Now, who do we assume had a mark on him that was not destroyed by the Babylonians? Daniel's one. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lehi, Nephi, Sam. There were many who he marked and the bombs of protection came and the Babylonians spared them. Do you see that? That was an anointing. It was an anointing of a city for a blessing of protection. Now, do you see the pattern? When someone's sick, what do we do? Tell me what we do. We put oil on them and say, come on, blessings. This is the one. That's the one to bless. Right there. Not me. That one. And here come the blessings of protection. We mark them for a blessing. Anyone know another one? Name a time the Lord talks about a mark on the forehead that will spare the righteous. Okay, we've seen this one. Moses himself. I see where you're going. Ezekiel. But we got to go to our day. Tell me what missionaries symbolically are doing right now. They are putting a mark on all the righteous. And as soon as we're done, what will the Lord do? He will whistle. And the destroying angels will come in and slaughter. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, speaking of the work we are doing in our day. Verse 1. Revelation 7, 1. The Lord says... How many angels this time? Four. Why four instead of six? 
Anyone know the symbolism of six? What's the symbolism of seven? Perfection. Perfection. Because how do we know that? God finished his work in seven days. He completed his work in seven days. So seven is the number of complete or whole or perfection. How many times was Naaman supposed to dip in the river? Complete, whole obedience. How many times they walk around Jericho? Complete, whole obedience brings blessings. Six then is incomplete. Why is the number of the why is the beast have a six in his number? He is. He will never complete. He is not. He is incomplete. Time has all sorts of sixes. 60 minutes, 60, 60 hours, 12 hours, 12 months. Time has sixes all over it because time is incomplete. It is irrelevant to God. Six is incomplete. We're not done. What's the symbolism of four? Tell me something that has four parts, always described in fours. The earth. Four quarters, four seasons, four directions, four elements. The earth is always four. So if there are four angels that are going to destroy, tell me what you know. What's the symbolism? It's not Jerusalem. It's the whole earth. These four angels are over the whole earth, and they are holding back the destruction. Right now, there are four angels holding back the destruction of this planet. And what are they waiting for? Verse 2. We need an angel with the seal. Now, in John's day, what was a seal? What would a seal have been? You drip wax and you make an imprint. You mark it with a ring, right? You've sealed it. And so we say... Verse 2, seal all the righteous. That is the work of our day. Missionaries are going around the world and marking the righteous. And then he says in verse 3, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their forehead. We're not done. So hold back, you angels. Hold back until we've had time. Now go to, section, go to chapter 9 when the destruction is unleashed. Verse 1, the, bottom, the, the angel with the key to the bottomless pit, out comes the destructive forces, and they start destroying the earth. Verse 4, who don't they destroy? Those who have the seal of God where? In their forehead. Do you see why you went on a mission? Same for service missionaries. The work we do is to seal the righteous in their foreheads. Because someday those angels are going to be unleashed, but they will not harm anyone who has the mark. Do you see the anointing? Do you see the laser? And here comes the protective blessings. It's the same idea. That's anointing. It's putting a mark on someone to receive a blessing. Now, here's where it gets a little difficult in our day. Whitney? Um, probably. Let's turn back to, that's a great question. This is worth taking a minute to do. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament, where were they supposed to put the law? When they went into the promised land and they were supposed to remember God and he put them under covenant. Verse 6, Deuteronomy 6, 6. These words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart and you will teach them diligently unto thy children and talk of them when you sit down in your, your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you will do what with the law in verse 8? Bind them for a sign where? On your hand and on your forehead. Now that's going to be very important in just a second. I'm supposed to put the law on my hand and in my forehead. That's why Jews have that little box and the little scroll on their forehead. Remember, put the law right there. Mark yourself with the law. Now, let's get back to Revelation. I think that's why. It's because Moses, it's just that tie to put it on your forehead. Put it right there on your forehead. Now, the other thing I would add is, why mark myself on the forehead? To whom am I speaking when I put a mark on my forehead? To you. I need you to see where I stand. So I think that prominent place where everyone can see. I think it also connects because the forehead is kind of an outward symbol of the mind that we were just talking about terrestrial sins two weeks ago. And it goes right there. So it's an outward symbol of us becoming more celestial. Yep. How many religions would consider this as a sacred space? So put God where? Right there. Now, let's go to our day. Still in Revelation. Everyone go back to Revelation. So Revelation talks about sealing the righteous for a protective blessing against the day of destruction. Now, here's what confuses our world. There's a competition. There's someone else that wants to mark you. Go to chapter 13. Revelation 13. Now, just as a side note, remember how Nephi was supposed, remember how Nephi's having this vision of the future? And then he sees one of the 12 apostles, and it's John. And the Lord says to Nephi, you're going to see the rest of this vision, but you're not going to write it because why? He's going to write it. Which account of the latter days does the Lord want us to have? He, he could have had Nephi writ, write it. Instead, who did he have write it? This is the account the Lord wants us to have. So we better pay attention. Chapter 13, verse 1. You got to see the footnote because it's going to tell us what the image represents. He sees coming out of the sea, which represents chaos and darkness. He sees coming up out of the sea what? a beast in the image of the world. Do you see that in the footnote? The beast is the world. The beast is the culmination of everything telestial. And now verse 7, tell me what he wants. 
Tell me what this beast wants. Now, if I have a plane with bombs and you're my enemy, what do I want to do? Uh, before I bomb you, because otherwise my bombs are just going to go wherever. I need to tell the bombs where to go. I need to mark you. And if his enemy are the saints of God, you can accept, you should expect the fact that Satan is trying to do what? Mark you. So that his bombs can come in and attack you. How does he mark you? Verse 16. Tell me what the beast wants to do. He wants to put his mark where? And? Do you see it? You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to get the law out of my forehead and put the world there. He wants the law out of my hand and put the world there. Now, I want you to think of the world in which you live. Tell me you don't see this every day of your life. The world is trying to mark you as theirs. This one is ours. Look at her. She looks worldly. She talks worldly. She acts worldly. That's one of ours. In our society, look at verse 17. If you're not wearing his mark, what happens? You can't, you get canceled. You can't play in our playground if you don't wear our mark. Tell me that's not happening everywhere around you. If you come out as pro-family, boom, we're boycotting your business. We're going to shut you down. We're going to sue you. This is happening everywhere. The world is trying to mark you at the same time that the angels are trying to mark you. Now, whose blessing do you want? Whose blessing are you putting on your forehead? James. I just was thinking about him, like the significance of the hand and the head and how it's like, that's where people say your third eye is, your conscience, what are you thinking about? And I think it's not as much like, we do have the outer world doing it, but we also have like everything on our phones, everything, it's like, where is our focus? And where, what are we doing? That's right. Who do I covenant with? Right. Whose hand am I shaking? What website am I clicking on? It's all there, hand, forehead. Now, here's the beauty. The Lord says, let me clarify this. I know what's gonna happen to the Bible. Get the gist from the Bible, let me clarify it. Now I need your head to say, does the Book of Mormon talk about a group that puts a mark in their forehead? Boom! And I hear Heavenly Father just waving that book saying, here's the lesson. If you want to understand anointing, go to that story. Will you turn there? How many of you know where? It's okay if you don't. I'm not going to shame you. But how many of you know? My hope is that missionaries know that book well enough to say, I know exactly which story you're talking about. Where they put a mark in their forehead those are the Amlicites. 
and that's Alma 2. Turn to Alma 2. Alma 2. That was my invitation to spend your mission coming to know this book like the back of your right hand. Alma 2. Okay, let me summarize. You got to see the symbolism here. There was a man who wants to be king. Remember, Mosiah 29, we go from a monarchy to a system of judges. And already, two chapters into Alma, there's people who are saying, let's go back to a monarchy and I'll be the king. Can you think of someone who wanted to be king and isn't going to be chosen and he's going to get mad about not being chosen and fight against the people who don't choose him? Do you see the symbolism? It's going to happen again with Amalekiah. Same story. He wanted to be king. He wasn't chosen, so he got the war chapters. This is the story of Lucifer who wanted to be king and wasn't chosen. So Alma chapter 2, let's see the connection to the Bible and the beast and, the, and God marking us in the forehead. All right, let me get there. Alma, Book of Mormon, Alma 2. Okay, verse 1, there was a certain man by the name of Amlesi. Total geek out moment for those of you who are Book of Mormon nerds. We know the Amlesites beginning. We know how they start. And then they disappear. There's another horrible group in the Book of Mormon where we know their ending and we don't know their beginning. The Amlesites... We know the beginning, but don't know the end. The Amalekites, we know their end, but not their beginning. I think, ready? They're the same group. The Amlicites are the Amalekites. Either they changed their name or somehow Oliver wrote it down wrong. Who knows? We'll see someday. Just total geek out moment. Or Moroni did. Okay, verse 1. There was a man among the, of the Nephites whose name was Amlesi. Verse 2. He drew away many people after him, and they wanted to establish Amlesi to be their king. So, verse 7, there's a vote. And the voice of the people came against Amlesi that he was not made over the, the king over the people. So he got angry, right? Did he respond and say, oh, they don't want me to be king? Fine, I won't be king. No. Verse 8, Amlesi did stir up those who were in his favor. And verse 9, they consecrated. They, what's it, give me a synonym for consecrated. They anointed, they marked Amlesi. Keywords going off here. They marked Amlesi to be their king. Now, the very first command that their king makes is <laughs> total suicide. Go attack the Nephites, who obviously are in the majority because he wasn't chosen as king, right? So go attack, the, go attack the Nephites. Now, how's that going to play out? They're going to be slaughtered. Verse 18, the Lord did strengthen the hand of the Nephites that they slew the Amlicites with great slaughter. They began to flee before them. Verse 19, there were slain of the Amlicites 12,532. There were slain of the Nephites 6,000. Ouch, that was a painful loss. 12,000 Amlicites are slaughtered. So they run off, they leave. 
Now, where are they going? You know where they're going, right? Where do all apostate Nephites go? They're going to go join up with the Lamanites. Alma sent some spies, and pretty soon the spies come running back, panic, because end of verse 24, the Amlicites have done what? Joined with a numerous host of Lamanites. Verse 27, the the Lamanites and the Amlicites being numerous, almost as it were, as the sands of the sea came upon them to destroy them. Now, this is where you've got to put yourself, you've got to see this. Don't read it so quickly that you don't see this. Because when you, when you draw this out, you're going to realize someone has a problem. So let me remind you, Nephites were mixed with Amlicites at one point, right? The Amlicites rebelled and attacked the Nephites. Do you think in that battle they knew who each other were? Do you think the Nephites knew who the Amlicites were? Clearly. Did the Amlicites know who the Nephites were? Do they know who each other are? Okay. So then the Amlicites join up with the Lamanites. So I can't draw how many there were, but allow me to just intermingle a few Amlicites with Lamanites. Now, do you see it? I'm going to let you look at that and see if you can see it. Do Nephites recognize Amlicites? Do Amlicites recognize Nephites? So what's the problem here? Lamanites don't know the difference between Amlicites and Nephites. Now, who's that a problem for? Not the Lamanites. They just swing at Whitey and just kill him. And if I kill a few Amlicites, do the Lamanites care? No. So who's that a problem for? The Amlicites. Tell me what they need to do. They need to send a message that we are not Nephites. We are not the people you think are enemies. We're on your team. And so chapter 3, verse 4, tell me what the Amlicites do. Very true. They put red on their foreheads. Now, look at verse 4 carefully. Why was that the mark they put on their foreheads? Why of all marks did they choose red on the forehead? There's a line in ver- there's a phrase in verse 4 that's very significant. Why did they choose that mark? After the manner of the So if I want you to accept me on your team, I do what? I pick up marks that you wear and put them on me. Now, we've all watched people we love do that, right? If I left the church today, if I immediately wanted everyone to know that I am not a Mormon, tell me what you would expect me to do immediately. 
Okay, so I would start. Now we call these amlocyte. Two M, no one M, right? It's only one M. We call these am. I call these amlocyte marks. Modern day ways that people pick up a mark and put it on them so that the beast knows not to attack me. Don't point your guns at me. I'm on your team. And one of them <laughs> I would also beg to differ a little bit in that probably first of what you do is take your garments off. Okay, so I'm going to take something off that is associated with them. But the problem with that is none of you will notice that. So I need to replace that with something that you'll notice. I don't want any Nephite swinging at I don't want any Lamanite swinging at me, right? So I got to put something on, not just take off. But you're right. I'm going to take off. Tell me what are some of the others. Okay, so clothing. I would immediately put clothing on and everyone would say, oh, you've changed teams. Now, I walk down halls of high schools and middle schools all the time in this area. And I can see in a second, which team you're on by the clothing you've put on. Okay, here's an easy one. This is an easy one. You want the world to accept you? You want to play in the world's playground and not be marked as an enemy? All you have to do is pick up the world's language. Okay. Because like they become a bloodthirsty people, so it's kind of like a, a savagery where it's like. What I do, I would change my friends. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take what I'm gonna take new friends and put them on me. Now this is happening, isn't it? Now what's the irony? The angels are waiting to destroy the earth. And what will save people on the earth? The mark that they just took off. Sad. But they got played. They got played. If you want to play in the beast playground, you got to wear our mark. Oh, I don't want you to hate me. So we pick up the world's marks and we put them on. And their weapons, everything. You get the idea, right? You're starting to see this. Now, here's the beauty of the Book of Mormon. Is there an, a counterpoint? Are there a group of Lamanites who don't want to be known as Lamanites? So what do they do? They have to put something off and put something on. Go to Alma 27, 27. I wish they spelled it out, but they don't. But I love the language here. Alma 27, 27, tell me what the anti-Nephi-Lehi's did. Someone want to read it? Alma 27, 27. Beautiful. And they were among the people of Nephi, and also numbered among the people who were of the church of God. 
And they were also distinguished. Distinguished. They were distinguished because they took marks and they put them on. Keep going. For their zeal towards God and also towards men. For they were perfectly honest and upright in all things. And they were firm in the faith of Christ even unto the end. Guess what? It's the same list. <laughs> Language, clothing, sensitivities, weapons. It's the same list, but done how I pick up the Lord's language, the Lord's clothing, the Lord's friends. So if we really want to clarify the Bible story, if the Book of Mormon's clarifying the Bible story, let me, let me be very clear what I hear the Book of Mormon saying. The beast does not mark you, nor does the angel mark you. Who marks you? Ourselves. You. You mark you. Now, do you see the connection? You walk into the temple and he's going to mark you. Therefore, what's the invitation? Everything about that initiatory ordinance is screaming out what? Are you marking you? How do, you sell, how do you tell Heavenly Father you want His blessings with your eyes? How do you tell Heavenly Father you want His blessings with your eyes? By what you look at. By what you look at. How do you tell Heavenly Father you want His blessings with your mind? By what, you By what you think about. How do you tell Heavenly Father that you want His blessings with your heart? Now, you live in the world. You live in this environment where what's going on? Over here is a force trying to get you to mark yourself with their image. And over here is an invitation from your father to mark you with his image. And you get to choose. You get to choose every day of your life whose image you put on you by the way you talk, by what you look at, by what you think about, by what your hand holds, by what your legs, you, what your feet walk towards. You see the, do you see the temple endowment? You are not just going in there to be anointed. He is marking you for his blessing, yes. But the invitation is, are you marking you for his blessing? Or are you marking you for the world's blessing? Which image are you wearing by the way you live your life? James. I just was thinking about it and how just kind of bringing in washing to anointing. And I can't imagine what this board would look like if you didn't wash it and then mark it. Yep. Because, you know, with almost a lot of things that we do, it's like we erase, clean it, and then we reapply a mark. And isn't it the enemy's hope that it's so messed up and so garbled that we can't tell what mark you're wearing really? Doesn't he still win then? If I don't wash first? Beautiful connection. Wash and then mark. So go back to the initiatory 
and everything they anoint, you turn that around and ask yourself, am I using that body part to show Heavenly Father I seek His blessings? Connection with identity with it. Yep. Historically speaking, if someone was ordained and going to be king, they're not going to question, oh, who's going to be the king when the king dies? We know who it is. Yep. And I think same thing. So when we mark ourselves with God's image, then we already know throughout our life what we're going to be, who we're going to be. Yep. Interesting with the world's image, there is no identity. Your identity one day might be your political candidate and the next day might be your favorite celebrity. There is or my sexual orientation yeah. or the color of my skin. And we get so caught up in other marks that we forget to put his mark on us. Brilliant observation. Absolute brilliant observation. Do you see that you are reading old texts that describe the day in which you live absolutely perfectly? You live in the middle of a struggle for identity. And everyone is looking around to identify themselves. Tell me what to put on so that I have identity. And the Lord says, no. Book of Mormon would say it what way? Have you received his image in your countenance? Is Jesus on you? Um, so going back to Revelation um, thirteen eighteen talks about the mark of the beast. So is that um, talking about a metaphorical and a physical mark that will be on the wicked in the last days? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Let's be honest. Do you sometimes have the mark of the beast on you? Is it literal or metaphorical? metaphorical. What percentage of this world has the mark of the beast on them? And is it metaphorical or is it literal? Until it's actual literal, I'm going to assume what? The thing about the problem with assuming literal is when I look at my hands, what would I say? I don't have it. Not me. And yet, do I? Yes, I do. And so I would just, do you remember when Nicodemus, when Jesus says a man must be born of God? Did he assume literal or, or liter, literal or figurative? Literal. What did Jesus mean? Metaphor. When the very next chapter, when he said to the woman at the well, drink of my water and you'll never thirst again. Did he mean literal or figurative? And what did she assume? Literal. Don't make that mistake. So go anoint yourselves. Today you will anoint yourselves by what you look at, by what you think about, by what your hands hold, by what your shoulder holds up, by the direction your feet walk. Do you understand better the anointing that occurs in the initiatory and the literal application it needs to make in your daily life? Of that, I testify, and I'm going to boldly declare your physical life depends on it someday. Those angels will cleanse this earth.
And the only people who will survive are the ones with the marks. Of that I testify. Mark yourself today. I want everyone to know which team I'm on. I am on Team Jesus. And I will declare His name and live His words and try and think His thoughts as much as I possibly can to make sure everyone knows I am on Team Jesus. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.